Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, February 13th. Now, our climate story of the week, which we're doing every Tuesday on the show, again all this year. Today, Elizabeth Weiss from USA Today, who's got a series that comes to the following stark conclusion in this headline. Across America, clean energy plants are being banned faster than they're being built. Across America, clean energy plants are being banned faster than they're being built. Let's find out where and why and who's for and against and what it means for the world. So with us now is Elizabeth Weiss, who has long covered science and technology and for the last two years has been focusing on climate change and the energy transition. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Oh, you're so welcome. Let's define some terms to start out. What falls under the category in that headline of clean energy plants? Okay, so here, what we were looking at specifically was utility scale. So this is not rooftop solar, and this isn't even utility scale solar, which is a like a, a small block or two solar uh, array. This is something big enough that it can take the place of a power plant. So utility scale, wind and solar. Um, and in the United States, we have definitions of clean vary depending on who you are, but carbon neutral energy includes hydroelectric power um, and nuclear power, a little bit of biomass, but nuclear and hydro are not going to grow significantly in the coming years. So really, if we want to reach our targets of 100% clean energy by 2035, we have to build out more utility scale wind and solar. So that's what we looked at. Wind and solar. And you just mentioned some of the context there, which is that the U.S. set a goal of 100% clean energy, that is, I guess, clean energy driving power plants, by 2035. And that is a goal that depends on building large-scale solar and wind power. And I'm just curious, Elizabeth, before we go on um, to the battles around solar energy in particular, is that goal a matter of law or just a matter of Biden administration policy, and if some other president is elected who claims global warming is a hoax, I won't mention any names, they can cancel that goal? That would be possible. It is a, it is a goal. Um, it, is, it is also part of the U.S. commitment to the, uh, the Paris Treaty. However, as we've seen, we can be pulled out of that. Um, and and were during the Trump administration. So uh, at least for now, it is the U.S. goal. All right. And, and when you talk to scientists, of course, it's what we need to be doing. Right. Some stats to back up your headline about banning faster than we're building. 180 U.S. counties, you report, got their first commercial wind power projects over the last decade, 180 U.S. counties. But twice as many counties blocked wind development. And then 2023 was the first year to see almost as many counties block new solar projects as the ones adding their first projects. Now, Elizabeth, we've talked multiple times on this show, as our listeners know, about some of the controversies around wind off the Jersey and Long Island shores, for example. So let's talk primarily about solar. And one of the stories in your series is called, They Hoped Solar Panels Would Secure the Future of Their Farm, 
Then their neighbors found out. So tell us that story. Who's this farm owner? Uh, so this is uh, Donna and Doc Kanoki who live in Gardner, Kansas. Um, they're Donna's family goes back to before the Civil War in Kansas. They uh, came over from Alsace Lorraine. Doc's family's been there for almost as long. Um, they had 160 acres from their original, well, from her great grandfather's original plot, which they added to over the years. And they were approached five years ago by a solar developer who was think wanted to put in a solar farm in, it would actually cross, it'd be in um, Douglas and Johnson County. So they were not the only ones, the only landowners who were going to take part in this. There's a couple of dozen. They had the largest piece, well, pieces of land. Do you know what they grew on the land before and why they wanted to convert from, I think it was, I think they were cattle farmers. Is that right? And why they wanted to convert to solar panels? So Doc was a large animal. He still is a large animal vet. And the land, for the most part, had been leased to Donna's uncle, Lucky. Uh, and he, when he passed away in the 70s, um, the the Kenokis have six kids. Um, and they had turned mo- much of that land over to a cow-calf operation. So they were, you know, they had cows, they were producing calves, which were then sold to feed out. So, so they were ranching it. Uh, mm-hmm. About 10 years ago, Doc hurt his shoulder, and so they started leasing it to la- to other farmers in the area. So there's, right now on that land, there's cattle, there's corn being grown, there's um, some soy and pasture land. So it's, it's mixed use, um, and they had part of their discussion in the family. I mean, Doc and Donna are in their 90s, and they have six children, and they're not concerned about losing their land, but they're their thought was, how do we best pass this along to the next generation? Because none of their kids wanted to farm, which is common, as you, I'm sure, have reported. So when they got a call from a solar developer, they're like, huh, this could work. And you report that the catchphrase the opponents were using was, stop industrial solar. What do they mean by industrial solar? solar what they're protesting is is large-scale solar installations that would be visible um so you know i mean nobody's saying you can't have solar on your roof there and and a lot of farmers around there might have a couple of solar panels panels to for a pump or something, but they're talking something that covers acres and acres. I mean, this this is going to be a large, if it gets built, it'll be a large-scale solar operation that'll cover, you know, more than a thousand acres of land. Although it's big, they're big counties, but still, it, it would be a large solar array in the middle of a, well, counties that are predominantly, but not entirely agricultural. Right. So some of this I think you're suggesting is aesthetic. And and let me read for our listeners your list of various objections that these potential neighbors of the solar farm have. Doesn't fit with the character of the land. That's what you were just referring to. Threatens health and well-being. 
it would create a landscape of black glass and cause a mass exodus out of the area. And you bust some myths around some of these things, and we'll get to that. But are the aesthetics of black glass and the feared exodus of the uh, out of the area as a result of that supposed to be um, a big thing? Like people will find solar panel farms uglier than cow pastures or corn or soybean fields, so they move <laughs> away? You know, so I've in the last year and a half, I've spent a lot of time in counties where solar and wind are being debated. And I've gone to a lot of county commission meetings and heard a lot of testimony and I've watched a lot on Zoom. And, and the things you hear, they kind of tend to fall into two categories. And, and there's what people are saying and then what they're feeling. And I think what people are feeling really strongly is, I don't want the rural nature of where I live to change. And so I am opposed to this because I don't like how it looks because I don't want it to change. There is an overlay on top of that of what, what, what are reasons that could stop this so it doesn't happen. And, and I swear you can kind of hear people searching for reasons that this is a bad idea. Um, I'm sure many of them feel very strongly that some of these are true, but at baseline. I mean, what I what you hear again and again and again in these meetings is people saying, I'm not opposed to renewable energy, but this is the wrong place for it. But you hear so, that everywhere in the country. And it's not just it's not just Kansas, it's California, it's New York, it's everywhere. And then the question becomes, how do we build it? But but the other piece of that, when you talk about I don't want the rural nature of where I live to change, and this is especially well, it's huge in Virginia, too. I, I mean, I'm sure your listeners are aware we're, we're kind of in the midst of a, a time in America when a lot of, there's a bit of a resorting, and you're seeing some people moving out to more rural areas because they believe that is a, a, a realer America. They, that is the lifestyle and the place they are choosing. And they come because even if they're not farmers, and most of them aren't, they want to live among a rural farming landscape. And then somebody comes in and says, oh, by the way, we're going to, you know, 2,000 acres of your county is going to be solar. And and they are not happy about it. And so the, there, are, there are so many layers to this. Yeah. But whereas the farmers are often really for it because – to them, I mean, when you talk to farmers, and I covered ag, so I spent a lot of time in fields with farmers. To them, land is what you make money off of. It's not pretty. It's not something you want to look at. It is, you know, it is what what are the inputs? What are the outputs? How much money do I make an acre? And is it better to throw down, you know, corn or soy or wheat this year? Or should I let it lie fallow? I mean, for them, it's about money. And when you talk to the farmers, they say, how dare you? I mean, actually, Donna Kenoki went off about this. Like, how dare you tell me what to do with my family's land? If you want my view, you pay for it. Um, and it, it's a fundamental divide that I don't think, I haven't seen a county yet that's figured out a way to, to deal with this. It's kind of a rural version of the urban paradox Everyone agrees on two things about affordable housing. Number one, we desperately need a lot more of it. Number two, just don't build any near me. So, 
in the series, for those who are interested in looking, we, we posted our entire database. So for every state, there is a, an overview of what the state rules for the zoning of wind and solar are, and then what the, the bans or blockages are at the county level um, for all 50 states. So New York is actually kind of an interesting example because especially in upstate New York, at, at the state level, New York has been really clear that uh, the siting of power is cannot be blocked by counties. And if it is unreasonably burdensome and it's got to go through the state office of renewable energy siting, which was the first of its kind in the nation. So New York has been out in front, and it's one of the few states that has said at the state level, we're not going to let people just block this stuff willy-nilly. That, however, has not stopped a lot of, of townships and towns, especially in upstate New York, from passing either very restrictive zoning rules or statutes that ban these new projects. Um, and... And none of, as far as I can tell thus far, none of those have worked their way through to the state level for the state to kind of say yay or nay, because um, that, that new state law was passed in 2020. So New York's kind of an interesting example, because New York, Illinois, and now Michigan all have state laws saying, basically, you can't, you can't just stop power because you don't want to see it in your county, but townships and sometimes counties are busily trying to do just that. I want to ask you a key question for me that I'm sure a lot of other listeners have on their mind when we talk about this kind of a topic. And that is, how much of this is genuine local debate about the nature of their communities and solar farms? And how much is it the fossil fuel industries fomenting an uproar to thwart competition from renewables? Oh, that is the $100,000 question, isn't it? So it is, it is both. It is both. There, there are definitely think tanks that have been busy pumping out white papers with varying reasons why wind and solar are a bad thing, uh, with generally speaking, not a lot of facts behind them. That said, there's also very strong feeling on the ground from people who get wind, I mean, as has happened in the Kenokis counties, that something is going to go in. And what, what tends to happen is, I mean, and this is a pattern too, people in the community hear that a wind or a solar project is being contemplated, they go online, they find there is an entire ecosystem of websites and information from people who are fighting these and it's very easy to plug into it and and get talking points and t-shirts and and you know phrases and slogans um, and they but they self-organize it's not it's not like you know somebody comes out from DC and and says okay this is how you put together your campaign so so it is very much local, and yet there is also a stream of it that is being egged on by, by some national groups. And, and the important thing to remember here, and I can't emphasize this enough, is that this is not a, a conservative versus liberal fight. I mean, as you alluded to when it comes to affordable housing, I mean, California is one of the hardest states in the country right now to build wind and solar in. Huh. And, 
And it's not because California is a bunch of, of conservatives. Some of the counties are, but a lot of them aren't. It's because, especially in Southern California, you know, it's, it's, it's wealthy folks who like their views and how dare you build anything that's going to ruin my view and I've got lawyers and I'm going to stop you. And they do. And here's a, here's a related question that I think is, is pretty astute from a listener who writes in, does Ms. Weiss ever think that opponents are motivated more by tribal partisanship than aesthetics or spirit, despite what they say? And, you know, and I could see it. Remember when Donald Trump the other week said he would only be a dictator on day one to do two things? One of them is build that wall and the other one is drill, baby, drill. So if you're sort of in that political tribe, then solar and wind are bad by, you know, generalization. Um, And so I wonder if you ran into that in your reporting. In some areas, it is definitely a a conservative talking point. I mean, I, I I went to a meeting in Kansas that was actually sponsored by a county Republican committee that was all about how to stop wind and solar um, and why climate change was not actually a thing and why this was all nonsense. So, and and there are places in the country where it is a plank, at least of the local Republican Party, though I haven't found states where it is a statewide plank. So, so that is definitely true. Um, it just doesn't explain, it doesn't explain all of it. People are fighting them in Oregon. They're fighting them in Washington State. They're from and, in, and apparently in they're fighting in them in places. Maine because here's Ron <laughs> in, in Un- Unity, Maine. You're on WNYC. Hi, Ron. This has been a fairly recent development up here the last couple of years, and it's not so much a NIMBY attitude that people have. Basically, it's they're coming in very fast, and they, they do these things uh, without much input from the, the locals. And what our biggest problem is that they're using up viable farmland, and farmland is very... Uh, important aspect of, of living in a rural area. We have many, many, many farmers. Now, these are not huge projects. I think the largest one that we have out here that I've seen is 700 acres. Most of these projects are 100 acres, 120 acres. Most of them are being put on hay fields. And, you know, it's, it's uh, easier for them to lease out the land. But it's a long-term event. I mean, these, these, these things go right. on for 20 years, 30 years. Tell me why that's important to you, Ron. You said in rural areas, farmland is important. So is it visual? Because otherwise, these are basically farmers who have found a more profitable crop. No, no, it's not so much visual. It's just that it's a, it's a life choice. And so, so say a farm goes up to a solar farm, well, if there's a farmer who doesn't really want to farm anymore, there are plenty of young people that want to buy farms and farm up here. But the land is getting too expensive for them. And if you take the more farmland that you take out of production, the more expensive it's going to get. Thank you for raising those issues. He's almost implying, Elizabeth, that food would become more expensive if more farmland is being used for other things. So this is a common talking point when you go to these meetings that we are, we'll lose all the farmland and we won't be able to feed ourselves. And, and this is, it's critical to U.S. Uh, to U.S. 
uh, safety. In a, I've, I've heard that argument. The truth is that we use up a lot of our agricultural land in this country to grow corn for ethanol. 40% of corn acres go straight to ethanol. So if, you're, if you want to talk about using agricultural land to produce energy, ethanol is actually a much less huh. efficient way to produce energy. Um, we, we have a lot of acres devoted to uh, corn for ethanol. And the other piece of it is that we also have a lot of acres that are taken out of production as part of USDA's conservation plans. So, and the other, and the, I think the final thing I would say is that there have been various estimates of how much land we actually need to produce all the wind and solar that we would like. Uh, but the one that the National Renewable Energy Laboratory came up with, which I think is a really good one, is about 10,000 square miles, which is about the size of Vermont. Um, that's a lot of land, but it's also, it would provide all the power that we needed. So it, again, this is all about trade-offs. What trade-offs are we willing to make? And in the United States, power is not typically something that you have to watch being made. And suddenly we're shifting to a system where a lot of people are going to have to see their power being made. And, and it's, it's, it's a change and change is hard. There we leave it for our climate story of the week, which we do every Tuesday on the show with Elizabeth Weiss from USA Today. Her series is called Across America, Clean Energy Plants Are Being Banned Faster Than They're Being Built. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We really appreciate the conversation. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.